hope that you can hear me. I, what I have to say must go on record somewhere before it is lost forever. I am Professor Wilbur Matlock, and my intention is to record my thoughts and feelings onto these tapes, to document them as fully as I am able, so that in the event of my death or a cover-up by forces unknown, at least something of what I have learned may survive. The stories you are about to hear are improbable. You may even find them ridiculous. But please believe me when I tell you that they are all true. The Hungry Atom Hunger. It's the need that unites us all. But when that hunger turns to greed, it can lead to excesses of the worst kind. This episode of the Matlock Tapes is a little unusual, because some of it wasn't actually recorded by the professor, but for him. Tonight's tale starts with a recording made by one Layla Tobin, a name which may be familiar to you if you have any interest in true crime. We can't fix a specific date for this recording as the professor hasn't noted it in his records, but we have ascertained that it comes from some point towards the end of 1973. Hi. I suppose I should start with thanks. For your letter and the parcel, I mean, nobody else writes to me except those bloody awful journalists. Vultures. Okay, let's go. Where did we get to last time before the last tape ran out? Oh, yeah. I hope you're getting something out of hearing about everything that happened. It's not doing me any favours running over these events again, that's for sure. I was a different person then. You do believe that, don't you? Okay, okay. We got to the beginning of June last time, didn't we? So, this was a Saturday night. I want to say the 9th, but it might have been the week afterwards. It's all a bit of a blur, to be honest. I must have arrived at the nightclub, Hot Stuff it was called, at 8? 8.30? I went alone. You probably think that's frightfully modern and unladylike, don't you? I went as a blonde, because, you know, blondes have more fun. I'd done a good job on my makeup, if I do say so myself. I just can't go out without makeup. I look absolutely frightful without it. Seriously. I wasn't digging the music. I'm more of a David Bowie girl than Donny Osmond. But I was enjoying the end of a nice cold drink when he came over. You know the type. Leather jacket, too much real cream and aftershave. All right, darling, he smiled. You have nice teeth. I noticed things like that. He was looking at my chest the entire time. Buy me a drink, I asked him, drawing his attention upwards to meet my eyes. I'd be terribly grateful. He didn't need any further encouragement. I've never seen someone bring drinks back from the bar so quickly. What's your name then? I asked him as I took my glass from his hand. I think he said it was Colin. I don't remember, to be honest. 
I couldn't help but notice he had a white patch around his finger, though the ring was missing that night. Married, I expect. They're all the same, men, dirty bastards. Oh, sorry, I wasn't counting you in that. He asked me if I wanted to dance. I told him that I love to dance, but not to this garbage. He told me he had some Bowie and T-Rex records back at his flat. Would I like to go home with him and listen to them? Okay, sure, I said, and I let him lead me out of the club and out onto the street. He only lived a few buildings away, above the fish and chip shop on Stone Street. We had to go up the world's most perilous staircase to get to his flat, but once there he stopped outside his door and sort of frowned and said, excuse the mess, before he let us in. I've been to a few bedsits in my time. This one wasn't as bad as some of them, to be honest. Do you live alone? I asked, knowing full well the answer was yes. He probably had another house for his wife and kids outside of the city. Yeah, darling, he answered, drawing the curtains. It's just you and me. Anything could happen, right? Stay where you are. I'll be back in a minute. While he was away, I flicked through his record collection. Mostly trash, but a couple of gems. I helped myself to some scotch from his drinks cabinet, downed it, then refilled the glass for him. When he came back into the living room, he was naked and holding a knife. I was sort of stunned for a second, but when he lunged towards me, I quickly got a hold of myself. I won't use this knife unless you make me, he snarled. So don't make me. I think he was surprised when I touched his arm and said, you won't need that, honey. He flushed those lovely teeth again in the widest grin and let it drop to the floor. Here, I held up the glass to him. Have a drink first. He undressed me with his eyes as he gulped down the scotch. You want to do it in here or the bedroom? Classy. I'm easy, I answered. He laughed at that. Then the sedative kicked in and he fell over backwards and whacked his head on the record player before he hit the grotty carpet. Whiskey is good for hiding drugs. The way it burns on your tongue sort of hides the taste, you know? So I'll spare you the details. Unless you want the details. But I set to work on him. Poor guy woke up halfway through. Obviously I'd underestimated how much of the sedative to use. I think I was gnawing on his wrist when he opened his eyes and screamed in pain. I had to snap his neck. It was the only way to put him out of his misery. I'm sorry, I think I whispered in his ear just before I terminated his life. This evening didn't turn out quite how you planned, did it, honey? Cannibal Killer Strikes Again From the London Chronicle Date Unknown Presumably late summer 1973 The Metropolitan Police Service are again attempting to reassure the public that there is no cause for alarm despite the discovery of a third mutilated body in Woodland near Tolliver, East London The partial remains of Colin Cunningham an estate agent from Hampshire, who also owned a flat in the city, were discovered by a dog walker earlier this week. Chief Inspector Richard Grimes, recently assigned to manage the investigation, is baffled. The killer is quite clearly what we call in the force forensically aware, he informed journalists at a press conference on Tuesday. The remains are quite carefully cleaned of any evidence before being disposed of. We're dealing with a calculating murderer here. 
The chief inspector is currently unable to fully connect the murders to a suspect despite witness statements each mentioning a woman present prior to the murder taking place. Our problem is that it would appear to be a different woman each time, he complained. Chief Inspector Grimes is believed to be consulting experts in deviant behaviour and so-called fringe science for assistance. I want to assure the public that we are doing everything in our power to catch this maniac before he or she strikes again. I have already recounted my involvement with several police investigations, but the Leila Tobin investigation was the only time I've genuinely felt that my life was in danger. This particular misadventure culminated in a close encounter with a savage cannibal. I still have the bite marks to prove it. Chief Inspector Grimes had been looking for a break in the so-called London Cannibal Murders case, and despite my best efforts, we had got precisely nowhere. But then I intercepted a police report that I felt might give us the lead we had been looking for, and brought it to his attention. The report was of a simple heart attack suffered by one Dr Simon Sloan, a senior at the Tolliver Nuclear Power Plant. The man had keeled over while he was at work, and sadly the myocardial infarction had prematurely ended his life. It was the kind of record that passes through the hands of authorities regularly, quite unremarkable and without cause for concern, yet this particular death had one unusual feature. The coroner believed that before heart failure, the poor man had been bitten quite savagely on the shoulder. This had not been the cause of death, but the comment raised alarm bells with me, given that we were on the lookout for a suspected cannibal. Richard was most pleased with me and even allowed me to accompany him and his men out to the power plants to investigate further. I accepted happily, but then, I wasn't to know then that he would place me right at the centre of events, for it would be me who was to confront the monster herself. Ah, there. I hope that you can hear me, Richard. I'm waiting in her office for her now. I've planted the listening device in a nice central location under her desk. I trust you haven't forgotten the code word. I'll use it the moment I feel threatened. I don't particularly want to be alone with her if things turn ugly. I hope this works out. My thought is she's rather too clever for us mere mortals. Have you been in here yet, Richard? It's more like a science laboratory than a manager's office. She's got lots of those little toys that represent the links between molecules. <laughs> They're quite fun. This one here, oh, I, I've just broken it. I'll have to put it back and, and hope she doesn't notice. Doesn't notice what? Ah, uh, Miss, Miss Tobin, I'm most terribly sorry, but I think I might have broken your uh, toy. Give it to me, you've put it back together all wrong. Nuclear physics isn't my strong suit. I hope I haven't broken it. If, if you let me, I'm sure I can slot it together again. It seems you like talking to yourself. You'd fit in well here. You know the saying, you don't have to be crazy to work here, but it helps. Yes, most amusing. Why don't you sit down, Professor? I certainly intend to. These heels are murder. No, uh, uh, thank you. I think I'd rather stand. The, the blue balls clip onto this middle section, correct? Suit yourself. Does it bother you, as a man, that the senior figure on this station is a woman? I realise that it is unusual for me to be a woman working in this field. Not especially. It's just that you seem to hold a particular distaste for me. 
Oh, don't deny it. I can see it in your face and in the way you seem much happier looking at that broken model than at me. Very perceptive of you. But I can assure you that your gender has nothing to do with it. Has that idiot copper sent you in here to talk with me? That idiot copper, Miss Tobin, is a dedicated and highly experienced police officer. He's an idiot. And if he couldn't get me to confess, what makes you think you can? You're not even a member of the police force, are you? That's correct. I'm a sort of a, well, I suppose in your terms, a, an independent troubleshooter with a speciality in the unusual. If the great Chief Inspector Richard Grimes can't stick those murders on me, I very much doubt you can. You don't sound entirely sympathetic about the deaths, Miss Tobin. Call me Layla. And I'm not. It's none of my business. Not even when a potential murder happens within your station? What happened to Simon was regrettable. Interesting choice of word. Unfortunate, then, but not my concern. Miss Tobin, as I'm sure you are aware, people can only enter and leave this station via the security barrier. Security is paramount at an installation like this. Your point being? Whoever mutilated senior engineer Simon Sloan, and probably set off the heart attack that killed him, is a member of your staff. The same person has very likely committed a string of other cannibal murders, and you don't seem concerned. I'm letting the police take care of this. Rather stupid, wasn't it? The killer striking in a location with such a limited number of suspects. Stupid, you say? Yes. Reckless. Not consistent with the murders so far. I don't know what you mean. The previous murders were quite carefully cleaned up, Miss Tobin. The bodies quite delicately disposed of, so they would be hard to find. You're smiling. Whoever did this is rather skilled, wouldn't you say? No, reckless is what I said. I could imagine that having got away with several murders scot-free, the killer was possibly a little high in confidence. Or perhaps they simply let their hunger get the better of them. What do you think about that? I told you, it's none of my business. Very well. Perhaps I could ask you some questions about another issue. Go ahead. I've nothing better all day to do than talk to you. Now have I? I'd like you to tell me about your accident. My accident? Accident at nuclear power plant. Major crisis averted. From the London Chronicle, Friday, 3rd of December, 1972. From our science correspondent, Harold McCormack. Chaos broke out at the Tolliver plant yesterday after the pressure inside number two reactor exceeded all safety limits. Such a problem is usually brought under control by the pumping of more water or the venting of red-hot steam, but due to a catastrophic system failure, neither method proved effective in bringing the reactor under control. Head of the facility, Dr Simon Sloan, was at a loss about what to do when his plucky assistant Layla Tobin, 25, stepped in and quite literally cooled the situation. I reversed the turbine leading into the containment structure, which blew back on the obstruction in the pipe, clearing it partially. It was quite simple, really, she remarked. Indeed, this off-the-wall approach worked rather too well, and radioactive gas quickly flooded the control chamber manned by Miss Tobin, who is now being treated for radiation poisoning in St. Gart's Hospital. Doctors expect her to make a fair recovery, though the damage to her cells is likely to be life-shortening. Dr Sloan hopes she will be back to work as soon as possible. 
Miss Tobin is an essential member of my staff, he told us. No one on the plant makes coffee quite like her. My accident? I wasn't responsible for it, Professor, but I did stop southern England from being held in the grip of a nuclear winter. What are you doing? Will you put that thing down? Oh, sorry, I'm still trying to fix it. Does the atom... is it an atom slot in here? Just forget about it. Yes, your, your quick thinking was most commendable. The staff here I spoke to said you came out of hospital afterwards a changed woman. What do you think they meant by that? By changed, they mean ambitious. And we women aren't meant to be ambitious, are we? I could have died, but I didn't. And I resolved there and then to make something of my life. I expect that sounds corny to you. No, I do believe the change is possible. I have to. So you came out of the whole experience energised, did you? You've done exceedingly well since, career-wise, haven't you? Yes, I've been successful. I've worked hard, and I've been very successful. There's a hunger inside you, isn't there? What do you mean, hunger? The drive to succeed, of course. What did you think I meant? You're wasting my time. I've got lots of work to do, so if you don't mind... One last question, Miss Tobin. If the dreaded cannibal killer isn't you, who is it? I'm expected to do the police's work for them as well now. Humour me. I expect he's some creepy old man. Someone not unlike yourself. The police know that the murderer is a woman. Wrong. You're wrong. I've seen the story in the papers. The murder victim was seen with a woman before they died. That's correct. But a different woman each time. So that rules a single suspect out. Unless you're really suggesting that a band of female serial killers have banded together and are eating their way through the male population of London. Stranger things have happened. But no, I think that we have one killer here. And the woman spotted with each of the victims is the same woman each time. That's rubbish. The first victim was seen with a redhead, wasn't he? You're remarkably well informed. I just keep my eyes and ears open. The first suspect was indeed a redhead, with long, luxurious hair, according to the rather over-egged report. The second victim was seen with a brunette with short hair. Correct. And the third murder. What was the victim's name that time? Colin? A blonde with a perm. Right again. So, not the same woman, and not me. I neglected to tell you earlier that I am a professor of medicine, Miss Turbin. During the late 1950s, I assisted in several government programmes involved in testing nuclear bombs. Very impressive. What's that got to do with me? I have seen, first-hand, the impact of radiation on the human body. Not to the levels that you were exposed to. One symptom of radiation poisoning is skin complaints. Hair loss. Are you wearing a hairpiece, Miss Turbin? Uh, how dare you? I, I only ask because a lady who wears a wig can be any colour or style she likes. Can't she? Would you like to come over here and check? I bet you'd like to get your hands on me, wouldn't you? Answer the question, please. I will take you at your word. Are you or are you not wearing a wig? So what if I am? That doesn't make me a killer. No, granted. But it does put you in the suspect category along with being present at the location of an act of cannibal mutilation. 
The killer could be another woman working here. Oh yes, that's quite true. But it isn't, is it, Miss Tobin? How can you be sure? You said it yourself. A woman in this industry is quite unusual. There are, shamefully, only three women on the payroll here of 47. And you were the only woman clocked into the building at the time of the attack. So that's now three pointers towards you being our suspect. Not looking good for you, is it? It's always ruined my plans. Every step of the way. I don't follow you. Sexism. Unequal opportunities. For what it's worth, I'm sorry that you were caught out that way. It gives me no pleasure. What happened with you and the gentleman that worked here? Dr. Simon Sloan? That does seem to have been your undoing. You were right. I was hungry. And I was angry at him. Sexist pig. Always trying to prove I didn't know what I was doing. That he was superior to me, even though I'd been promoted over him after the accident. I couldn't stop myself. What is it that you take from eating human flesh? You do understand how revolting that is. Everyone wants to know what it tastes like. Human flesh, I mean. Oh, no one comes out and asks me, of course. That would be inappropriate, wouldn't it? But I can tell they want to ask me. I can see it in their eyes. Do you want me to tell you? I will if you want me to. I'll do anything for you. You just have to ask. It's the only thing that can fill me up, even if it's only temporarily. There is a hole inside me, always has been. The accident only made it bigger. I feel so weak sometimes. The sickness never goes away. The pills they gave me don't help at all. This all started off with me eating lots of meat. There was something so filling about it. The protein? Potassium iodide, most likely. And then I just sort of graduated to human flesh. It was a compulsion. I couldn't stop myself. That radiation inside me sure is hungry. When did you first cross the line? I... Oh, never mind. But I never, I never killed anyone who didn't deserve it. You think that makes it acceptable? No. No, of course not. So, what happens now? Inspector Grimes is waiting outside. You can let me do the explaining to him. You're so sweet, aren't you? I wonder what you'd taste like. If, if you're trying to intimidate me... I'm sorry. I actually am sorry. You're quite nice, aren't you? But you're going to have to die now. Richard! Richard! Come in here now! <sighs> 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 door's got a lock on it. I don't like to be disturbed, especially when I'm eating. Oh, ah, please stop! Please stop! Please stop! Get back from the door, I'm going to kick it in! Chief Inspector, thank goodness! Right, sir! Time to get off him! Bastard! Break it up! Come on, break it up! You're going to rot in jail for a very long time, love. You hear that, Matlock? You've ruined my life! Haven't you got anything to say to me? I... 
I'm sorry I broke your little toy. Hospital records confirm that Professor Matlock was treated for a large bite on the shoulder and he was given six stitches and a tetanus shot before being released. Within his files on this case is a get well soon card received from Chief Inspector Grimes. A handwritten message inside reads, To Matlock, congratulations on nailing her. Very clever of you to pretend the plant entry log said she was the only woman on shift that day. Inspired. Hope the shoulder heals up quickly. All the best, Richard and the boys from B Division. I've got to hand it to you, Prof. Credit where it's due. The way you caught me out was pretty smart of you. I was angry, yes, but I'm over it now. Promise. Oh, while I remember, there's one point I wanted to correct you on. When we were in the car being driven to the station, you looked at me with those kindly eyes of yours and told me that I was a man-made monster. I've been thinking about that for a while now and wanted to tell you that you were wrong. Nobody made me but myself. No man-made monster me. I'm not letting you men take credit for that as well. Well, I think that's it, which is just as well as my 20 minutes is up and that bitch of a warden will be here in a minute to take the tape away. Thank you for the serum. Oh, and for giving the formula to the prison doctor so he knows how to replicate it. It's not as good, no, that's the wrong word. It's not as satisfying as the real thing, but it takes the edge off the cravings, you know. I'm all under control now, Professor. You do believe that, don't you? Thanks to you. It's funny. I should hate you for putting me away in here, but you're the only friend I've got, really. I feel like there's a bond between us. That's sad, isn't it? But you're the only one who understands. Before I finish, I just wanted to remind you, you'll speak with the parole board, yeah? You did say you'd do whatever you could for me. And I have promised to help you as much as possible with documenting everything that happened, right? Please, please get me out of here. You're the only person who can help me. My family have disowned me. I, I did wrong, okay? Really bad stuff, I know that. I admit it, but please, please listen to me when I say that person... That thing isn't in charge of me anymore. You told me that everyone is capable of change, and you were right. You were so right. I've changed. I've changed for the better, for good. You do see that, don't you? Oh, here she is, the Wicked Witch of the West. I've got to go now, Prof. Remember what I said, won't you? You've got to get me out of this, I promise. Completely, I, I won't ever do it again, I promise. A newspaper cutting from the City Standard, Wednesday 5th of September, 1973. Cannibal killer prison sentence to be extended. There was bloody carnage in HMP Yardley yesterday as evil cannibal killer Layla Tobin hospitalised police officer Janet Carter, 37, in a frenzied attack lasting nine minutes. Insane Tobin, recently imprisoned for a string of horrific murders, is said to have bitten Carter 29 times all over her body and was only restrained after being pulled away by a group of five burly prison guards. Officer Carter is still alive but under close observation, having lost around 10 pints of blood in the attack. It's a miracle she's still alive, a source has remarked. Tobin, who had been showing signs of rehabilitation in the weeks before the terrifying assault, now faces an extension on her life sentence. Several months of solitary confinement 
and, according to a judge, has, quote, absolutely no chance whatsoever of parole. Leila Tobin was released from Her Majesty's Prison, Yardley, on the 10th of May, 1975, her solicitor having proven successfully that her conviction by taped confession made by a non-police officer was unsafe. Chief Inspector Richard Grimes was quoted at the time as saying that her release was, quote, a dreadful mistake, and he was to be shown to be correct very quickly after another series of horrific murders. Tobin's story concludes in a future Matlock tape, which we can only provide if you help us keep the work of Professor Matlock alive. Please like, comment, subscribe, and share this podcast. The Matlock Tapes, The Hungry Atom, was written by James Baxter and presented by Giles Cosgrove. Layla Tobin was played by Charlotte Grant. Musical themes by Mr. Brown, apart from 60s music by Dark Olin, used with permission. The series creator and producer was James Baxter. <laughs>